the Strictly Personal Podcast. I'm John Paul Batum, your host, Volume 2 Edition. Finally, we move into our second year, and we're going to continue to have the good conversations with many of our guests going forward. We'll also continue to feature some of the historic clips of the Hall of Fame broadcaster, John Batum, a few other editions, and we've got uh, music on the front end that if you want to send in your guess as to who the artist and the song is, you'll enter into a draw and we may draw your name for a Strictly Personal t-shirt. And we've also added, if you had to choose on the back end of our uh, conversations with our guests, and you'll have to stay tuned and listen to the end to catch up with that one. Um, with all that being said, the commentary here is Strictly Personal. Let's get going. My guest today is Wally Mott, is a longtime family friend, a good friend and colleague of my dad's. Uh, Wally is retired now, but we are going to catch up with him and see what he has been up to. Before we do that, let's listen in on John Bass. Good morning, everyone. When the Montreal Canadiens began their hockey season in a rather poor manner, someone went back to the record book to determine the last time a Montreal team started as poorly. You know, it was 30 years ago. With the Toronto Maple Leafs charging ahead in unusual fashion, it's back to the record book. It was 1944, 36 years ago, that the Leafs started so well. They opened with six straight victories that year. Last night, the Leafs held on to defeat the Calgary Flames 5-4. to four. It was their sixth straight win. They've now taken six out of seven so far. They are in first place, not just in their division, but overall in the NHL. Rocky Saganek scored twice with singles to Anderson, Boschman, and Vive, but it was goaltender Yuri Sura who came through with a point-blank save on Eric Vale with four seconds remaining that preserved the Leaf win. Tomorrow night, the Leafs are off to Vancouver. The Detroit Red Wings finally won a hockey game. They became the final team to join the victory clubs last night with a 5-1 to victory over the Colorado Rockies. Rookie Mike Blaisdell led the way with his first two professional goals. And the Philadelphia Flyers got a bit of revenge for their Stanley Cup loss to the New York Islanders. The Flyers beat the Islanders 4-2 in the first meeting of the clubs since last season's Stanley Cup final. And the Montreal Canadiens, they're back on the winning track. They buried Chicago Blackhawks 7-2 last night. It was only their second win in seven starts. How are you? <laughs> you picked that up so quick, I didn't, uh, didn't even hear it ring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here waiting for it. Ah, oh, good man, good man. So, how are you doing? Good, good, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not excellent. I got a bad hip and a bad knee. It kind of buggers up my golf game. So, is it the knee throwing off the hip or the hip throwing off the knee? Well, I have the bad knee, and so I went out and got a, a brace, and that put the pressure off my hip. Now, now I got both items hurting me, so. Oh, my goodness. So, are you, yeah. so you've given up golf for a bit, or? Uh, well, not all, but <laughs> I didn't go yesterday. I had a game plan, but I didn't go. It's too hot. I know. It's a little bit on the warm side, uh, you know, yeah. to, to golf and be out for a long period of time. I find as we get a bit older, it's uh, my tolerance for the heat is less and less. I don't know if you find that, but uh, I do. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I, I just don't go out in hot weather like this. It's dangerous for me. Yeah. Heart uh, condition and... My chest gets very heavy in this muggy weather, so... I, I, you know, I guess I wanted to start with you, Wally. I wanted to go back and just start, right, kind of go back to the beginning, because I don't know a lot of your history. I know, I think you're from Saskatchewan originally. I am, yes. And so how did you ever get into the broadcast business? Well, that's a long story. <laughs> um, I, uh, I started out uh, working for my uncle when I was still going to school, and... Uh, he was in. He was a contract and a stonemason, a bricklayer, and uh, so my cousin, who was two years younger, Joe Lunghammer. You might know him. You've heard of him. He used to play for the Regina Pats. But anyway, he played with uh, Berenson and Hickey. You probably remember wow, those two. Yeah. He was on their line. Anyway, nice. uh, he and I worked for his uncle or his dad. He was my uncle. After I uh, when I I quit school, I. Uh, he asked me if I wanted to keep on working, and he would uh, give me an apprenticeship. In other words, sign me up uh, as a bricklayer, which at that time was the highest paid trade around. Okay. So I took him up on that. In Saskatchewan, well, I, I'm from North Battleford, of course. I think you know that. In Saskatchewan, the winters are pretty cold, and you can't lay bricks in the cold. <laughs> I didn't have a job in the wintertime. My friend, Ron Smith, who I was going to college with, had a 
a part-time job while I was going to college, being an announcer, reading the news, etc. He had a nice, deep voice. I said to him, gee, maybe I could get on there for the wintertime. He says, oh, I doubt it. But he says, I'll tell you what, though, I'll make, make up an addition for you. So uh, he got me behind the mic, and I read a few commercials and okay. gave the tape to the station manager, and the manager says, no, he hasn't got the voice. No, no, no dice. Well, that, <laughs> went on, that went on for four years. Yeah. yeah. Fifth, fifth year, I made another one. I, I said, Ron, I'll... I'll take the tape to I want to talk to the manager myself. <laughs> and that's how I got my foot in the door, and he didn't have an announcer's job and didn't want me as an announcer anyway. Yeah, I said, but have you got anything here? I'll sweep the floors. Yeah, I, I got to pay for my car. I said, you know, and I haven't got a job, and I don't like an unemployment insurance. <laughs> <laughs> he says, no, I haven't. He says, the only job I have is a, a country salesman. I said, I'll take it. <laughs> Well, you have no experience. So I, here, I'm tw- I'm 22 years old at the time. Yeah. I said no, but uh, I can gain experience. Anyway, begged and everything else, and he gave me the job. So we started me out with no commission, just 175 dollars a month, Holy which God. you don't remember those days. No. But that's what I got. So I got my foot in the door, and I I had a station car, and my job was to go around the countryside and try to sell some advertising. Uh, I went as far as Middle Lake. You know, know how far Middle Lake is from North Battleford? Uh, I think it's quite a ways, isn't it? 90 miles, yeah. Anyway, uh, you could hardly get our signal up there, but anyway, I went up there to all the stores, and one guy was the head of the Chamber of Commerce. He said, look, we haven't got a speaker today. Uh, Noon, why don't you join me for lunch, and you can tell us what you're you're doing up here, and uh, we'll all listen to you. So I did that, and uh, it was the first time I gave a speech in public, and I was sweating cats and dogs, and <laughs> went up to walk to, you know, you know the way it is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, some of them bought into it, and uh, before I knew it, I had a little program called The Middle Lake Show on CJ and B North Battle. Oh, is that right? Okay, well, that was a good break right there. Of course, my, it was, I was on a three-month probation. I said, I guess I'm out of work now. I have to go back to playing <laughs> bricks. <laughs> he said, well, you know, you've done quite well. I'm quite impressed. If you want to keep up for another year or so, you know, stay on. So I stayed on. Okay. And I guess in a couple of months later, my friend Ron, who got me the job in the first place, found another job in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, down by Regina, of course. And so he took that. And so I asked if I could get on board. Because by this time, I had been going down there every night uh, after work sitting there with a guy called Bob Hildebrand who used to work at CBC in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So he taught me how to read and how to pronounce and how to use my voice, uh, use my diaphragm to bring it out from my chest rather than the top of them, my uh, mouth, which I usually did. So that started me off. And so anyway, I got another trial basis being the disc jockey at night. After a couple of years, Ron phoned me again from Moose Jaw and said, there's an opening down here, why don't you try so I auditioned, and I got the job in Moose Jaw. Okay. And it was in Moose Jaw that uh, I, after a little while, I got to meet uh, your, your dad and uh, a good friend of mine, John, John Badham. He, he was, I, I... So would he be at CKCK at that time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they were number one in the province. And uh, he was on it at 8 o'clock in the morning, as was I, and I always monitored them to see what I missed and what was going on over there, yeah. because they were far superior than we were. Uh, when I met him, I think I met him the first time at uh, a curling bond spiel. Okay. Or we, we called it out there the curling non-spiel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably heard about that. Uh, yeah, well, I used to hear a lot about the curling stories, and uh, you don't hear much about curling as much today anymore, but uh, yeah, back then it seemed to be quite popular, uh, certainly for anyone that was out west anyway. Yeah, it was a, a Western deal, actually. But when John got to Toronto and I got to Toronto, we said, uh, I don't know how it happened. We were talking one time and I said, John, let's get a team together and go out to the non-spiel. So we made that a, a habit for a while there. And uh, it was great fun. So what like, what brought you to Toronto then, Wally? Well, okay, uh, what happened uh, was it uh, Moose Jaw, C-H-A-B, 
was affiliated with CTV. Gotcha. Okay. And John worked at CKCK, which was affiliated with the CBC. I went down to uh, Moose Jaw as the voiceover television announcer and also the disc jockey at night. As it ha- happened, the news director at CHAB was a fellow called John McManus, John McManus, and his brother was Chuck McManus, the sports director there. Okay. Anyway, John was was a hard guy with his news people. He, he was really a good teacher, very strict. I, I was only a disc jockey, and, but I had to read the news at night. They didn't have another announcer at night, so I had to go down to the newsroom in the basement and rip off the teletype, and, which I did. And, of course, John worked all day on local news, and all the other guys at night never bothered doing that. They just ran downstairs, ripped the stuff off the teletype, and never bothered all the news he, local news he had laid out on the table. He came up to me one day, and uh, he said, you know, I'm impressed. You're the only guy that has ever read my stuff at night. And he said, you're a pretty good reader. And he said, now, how old are you? And I said, 28. And uh, he said, you know, you're not going to be a disc jockey all your life, are you? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> but that's your job right now. He said, look, I want you in the news department. I'll give you a $25 raise, and I'll get you on television. I'll have you read television news. Not all the time, but sometime. Yeah. So I bought it for 25 bucks a month. That was great. So <laughs> I went down into the newsroom, and, and uh, he taught me just about everything I ever knew. Well, of course, I had experience after that, but he was a very good teacher. And uh, then CTV had their uh, national newscast, if you recall, at 10, maybe you don't, so long ago, 10 o'clock at night out of Ottawa. Yeah. The two newscasters were Peter Jennings and Peter and Baden Langton. Of course, you know what happened to Peter Jennings. He went to ABC and became a big star. Yeah. Anyway, never had any news from the West. They decided to call on all the affiliates uh, out West if they would have designate somebody in the newsroom to go out and cover some news and send it down to uh, to Ottawa. Oh, I, by this time, no, by this time, when this happened, uh, Harvey Kirk had become the news director and, and they were doing the news out of uh, Toronto. Right. So, so this was the challenge they gave us. And uh, we had a, an RTNDA meeting, Radio and Television News Announcers uh, of Western Canada. We got together in Saskatoon uh, shortly after I became news director. By this time, I had sent in a few stories. I mean, I didn't know anything about television. Uh, I know there was a jet, uh, one of the shooter jets crashed in uh, Moose Jaw, and uh, I ran up to uh, the photography department and said, I need a cameraman to go out and shoot uh, the plane crash, uh, the remains of it. And he looked at me and he says, news is pretty down low on the list. I said, well, I ought to have it done. He said, well, here. And he gave me a a silent camera, and uh, I went out and shot it. And, you know, it was a terrible footage. I panned all over the place and <laughs> in and out. It was awful. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's how it started. When uh, what, what year would that have been? Well, let's see. I went to Moose Jaw in '61. This would be about 1964. Wow. But anyway, after that, uh, they decided to to uh, get a designate from each place, and everybody had to send in uh, all the newsmen had to send in uh, an audition to uh, CTV in Toronto. Anyway, uh, as a result of that audition, they decided that they weren't getting any feeds from the West. Oh, I forgot to tell you that I would go out on weekends and find a story and put it on on tape. I'd take a cameraman with me and we'd go out and shoot. And we never made any money at it. We just wanted the experience because they critiqued us after that. Right. That uh, critiquing went very well. And uh, when Lester Pearson and John Diefenbaker were out there stomping the prairies for the election, they asked me to go and cover them, even though it wasn't in, in Moose Jaw. Uh, Deef was in Moose Jaw, but Lester Pearson, I think, ended up in Yorkton. Uh, and uh, so I went to Yorkton and covered it, and they paid for my expenses. And they gave me 20 bucks for it. So that was great. All the other guys, when we went to the RTND meetings, they asked, you know, how much was CTV paying me because I was the only guy sending in stuff from the West. 
I said, well, actually, they're not paying me anything. I'm just doing it for the experience because if I want to go up, I have to get my face known somewhere. And they just laughed at me and said, well, we suggest you don't send it in because if you keep on doing it, we'll never get paid and we're going to hold out <laughs> until we get paid for it. Yeah. Well, it didn't last very long and they phoned me up and said, uh, look, we're not getting any reaction from the other the other guys, so we're just going to put a budget together and we're going to put a guy in Winnipeg. You have first crack at it. And Harvey Kirk will come out and meet you in Winnipeg and you can talk to him and we'll see what arrangement can be made. And that's what how it happened. Hmm. Harvey came out, uh, first time I'd seen him, the first time I got on an airplane from Regina to Winnipeg and uh, met him and he gave me the, uh, the amount of money that I was supposed to make and I said, God, Harvey, I'm practically making that now. Hmm. And uh, he said, well, there it is. If you don't want it, we'll have to go somewhere else. I said, well, I just can't turn down something like that, so I took it. Yeah. And so I went to Winnipeg and worked there as a, as a Western Bureau chief for, it ended up just about two years. And then they brought me to, to uh, Toronto. To Toronto. And, and so Toronto, I mean, you were on CTV here in Toronto for a number of years, were you not? Oh, yeah, 21 years. Yeah. Uh, well, I, was, I worked for CTV for 21 years. I worked in Toronto for 19. Right. The funny thing was, uh, they brought me down to Toronto to be a reporter. That's what I, what they told me, this is what you get paid. And I found that I, I had... I bought a house in Winnipeg, you know, houses were cheap in Winnipeg. I bought a beautiful little bungalow, brand new, for $17,100. Were you married then at that point? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I've been married uh, 57 years now, so almost enough to talk. Anyway, um, that's what happened. They brought me down to find a place to live and I drove around and I decided that I wasn't going to come to Toronto because it was just too expensive. I couldn't get buy my house back um, and they just weren't paying me enough money. And the manager at, uh, in Winnipeg told me that if, if uh, you don't go to, to Toronto, you got a job here. Oh, you know who was the news director at that time? Harvey was a the news director in the newsroom, but the overall guy was uh, Charles Templeton. Is that right? So that's who I was dealing with. <laughs> and uh, went back after a week looking at houses, and I just said, I can't afford it. I, I, I won't be coming down here. And he said, well, you won't have a job. I said, well, yes, I will have a job. I'll have a job in Winnipeg. He says, no, you got to come down here. This is a chance of a lifetime. And I said, it's an opportunity, but I said, you know, I've got a wife, and as a matter of fact, she's pregnant, and uh, I just can't afford to live here on that salary because I I tried to budget it out, and I can't do it. And he said, well, that's the standard. That's what we pay. We don't have a union, but that's that's the the top top of the line you're getting. I said, okay, well, I'll say goodbye. And he said, no, you won't. i got to find another way. He said, have you ever uh, read the news on TV? And I said, a bit, yes. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, this is Friday, you stay on Saturday night and read the news. That was my audition. (laughs) (laughs) Read the news live. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was nervous there for a bit, but I got through it okay. He phoned me up after and he says, I can now pay you an extra $3,000 because you qualify as an announcer. What year was that then? I stayed. That was 1968. Well, and that's not the time that John came to Toronto. Yeah, I think it was 68, 69. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how your paths have, had, have gone, uh, you know, a similar direction. Yeah. Uh, geographically, okay. anyways. Right. Yeah. I know John had the big pipes and he was just great out there. They loved him. You know, and Taylor Field and uh, the, uh, the football broadcasts, he was really good. Yeah, so good news that we're looking like we're going to have some CFL coming back. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully nothing goes you, wrong. You can bet they'll fill the stands in Saskatchewan. Yeah, well, yeah, no 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think even here there's a little bit of a, a pent up. Might uh, resurgence here. Yeah, you might get it. You never know. So you you ended up uh, staying there for twenty some odd years, and then did you from there went to Peterborough at that point? Or? Yeah. What okay. what happened? I was one of the lucky ones. Uh, you know, when they started laying off people that were making too much money or had yep. uh, too yep. much recognition, whatever you want to call it, uh, they gave you the golden handshake. What happened to me was, well, at the time they they called in. Uh, a guy they called Mr. Pittsburgh. I don't know if he was from Pittsburgh or what, but <laughs> he, he was a, a guy that didn't know anything about uh, our situation, except he got the names and, and uh, all the salaries and what they did. And he went through them and said, this is where you can cut back, 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 back. And Harvey was the first guy to go. Yeah. He was... He was he was doing the news with Lloyd for a while, and then they uh, they they wanted Lloyd on his own, so they put uh, Harvey into W five, and that's where he was. And I remember he went down to CKEY to do a a television, uh, well, not a television, a radio interview. Uh, they talked to us every once in a while on radio there, and picked up a newspaper, and the headline was. CTV fires Harvey Kirk. Oh, God, that was awful. And Harvey, I was Harvey's backup at the time. He read Monday through Friday, and I read on the weekends. But by this time, I had moved on to Canada AM. I, I, I read the weekends for, uh, from 1968 to 1977. I was always called in whenever the, the morning guy, morning newscaster, on Canada AM, the morning newscaster was the newscaster, the sportscaster, and the weather person. That was Dennis McIntosh. Right. And uh, when he decided to leave, uh, I said, I would like that job. I really liked the morning, and so uh, I applied for it, and I got it. So that's how I ended up on Canada AM for until 1987. During that time, I did a lot of uh, interviews in the studio as well as uh, many documentaries. Uh, one of the first documentaries I did was uh, Wayne Gretzky when he scored uh, 39 goals in 50 games. No, 50 uh, goals in 39 games. Oh, did I get that backwards? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, 50 yeah. goals in 39 games. Yeah. I'm allowed that. I'm 85 years old. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. It's a senior moment. Yeah. Anyway... That's amazing, though. So you interviewed uh, Gretzky. Yeah. Well, I did more than that. I, uh, what I did was uh, I, I, I interviewed him after the next hockey game uh, in the dressing room. And I interviewed uh, Caesar, who was the coach yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's... Yeah, and uh, all the guys uh, were in the dressing room, and, of course, uh, they were giving Gretzky the rah, rah, rah thing type of thing. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. But, but it worked out well. But then I went out to uh, uh, Brantford, and uh, I spent an, an evening with his dad. Oh, yeah. With the family, as a matter of fact. I went to their house and uh, uh, met uh, Mrs. Gretzky and all the kids and uh, got some video. And uh, then she took uh, the girl to uh, figure skating, and uh, one of the young guys who was going to be the next Gretzky I was playing hockey that night, so... Uh, was that Brent? Uh, yes, it was Brent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was his second, his oldest brother? I, f I forget the names now. No, I just I, remember Brent played in Belleville around that time. I well, this was long before that. He was yeah, only... Yeah, he had been just a young guy at that point. Uh, he, he was only, I would say, five or six years old. Oh, maybe. Oh, my goodness. And, and he was like Gretzky. I mean, he'd, he'd pick up the puck. Whenever he got the puck, he'd just take it and score, uh, go around everybody and go and score. And he, I know that I talked to Walter in the stands as it was going on, and he says, you know, a lot of people really resent this because, you know, he's that age, and uh, that's what he can do. He should be moved up ahead because it's not fair to the other people, and the other people are upset. Anyway, I had a good chat with him, and... And trying to get out of him, I, you know, the, the theory, the, what I, the theme of my story was, 
why is Gretzky so good? So I asked him about it, what he does and what he, uh, how Gretzky got to play, and, and he explained it all. And it was a very neat interview with Glenn Lahai. I guess it was seven or eight minutes, that whole story. I'm going to play a clip of Wally's interview with Wayne Gretzky and um, his one with Muhammad Ali as well. We'll get a piece of that. And I apologize for the static you may be hearing. This happened during a lightning storm. I can only assume that's what happened. Hopefully it's not too bothersome. Can, uh, I did an interview with Muhammad Ali, too, on his last fight. Oh, wow. That, when I went to Canada AM, I, w- I was doing new sports and weather. And then Sandy Ronaldo, they wanted to break her in. And so she was going to be my partner. And uh, it worked out that I would do news and sports one day and she'd do the weather and then it would go vice versa. Well, she didn't want to be a weather girl and she didn't know anything about sports. So it happened that they wanted to just move me into sports and weather and have her read the news. And so I said, okay, I'll do that, providing one thing, that no matter where in the world, there's a Canadian doing a big time story that I, I'm sent to it. So they agreed to it. Well, the first thing that came along was Muhammad Ali was fighting Trevor Burbick in yeah. uh, the Bahamas. Yeah. And so I went to my boss and said, there it is. <laughs> Good for you. Can well, I go? Well, Wally, when you think about it, the Canada AM was very, it probably paved the way for a lot of the morning shows today. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a great show. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was my favorite job that I've ever had. Yeah. Was Canada and I just cried when they got rid of me. Anyway, um, so you got to you got to do uh, an interview with Muhammad Ali. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they, uh, he said, <laughs> my boss said to me, "Look at you're going down there to cover a Friday evening fight, and you're on the air the uh, following Monday. What are you going to have that we haven't already got?" <laughs> other networks. Yeah. I said, I'll find something. So what happened, we went down there. I went down with the cameraman. All the cameras were set up around the ring. It was outside. And I thought, what? No use. I said to the cameraman, no use setting up there because everybody else has it. I said, let's try to get into his dressing room. So uh, we went over and uh, his dressing room, we knocked on the door. And uh, someone came to the door and I told him who it was. And I said, we're doing a story for Monday morning, and obviously uh, our, our network is going to have the stuff from the ring. I just wonder if I could get in here and perhaps get an interview with Mohammed when he comes in. The guy said, sure, I'll let you watch the fight on the television here. So I, I went in, my cameraman and I, and there were a couple of newspaper guys, one from Chicago and I think one from Detroit, and we watched the fight. And you know what happened was that he lost to Trevor Burbick, and he was so angry he jumped out of the ring, ran into the, his dressing room, and locked the door. <laughs> oh, and here okay. we were, alone with Muhammad Ali. And he sat down, and he was in tears, and his daughter was there and on his lap and crying, and his wife was there. So we filmed it all, talked to his wife, talked, got some of the interview from him while he's sitting down there, half, half weeping. Wow. But, Did you get a heck of a story, and, a, and something nobody else would have gotten. It was exclusive. Yeah, we went to the press conference the next day, and I never, I never shot one frame of film. Instead, I went and interviewed Trevor Burbick, and uh, so I had both ends of the story. So on the way home, we went home on Sunday. We got on the plane, and I noticed uh, Muhammad's right-hand man on the plane. But I, I said, "Where's Muhammad Ali?" And he said, "Oh, we never fly in the same plane together." I said, "Oh, damn! I wanted to do a." an interview on the way home, uh, one-on-one with him, as if he changed his mind from what he said in the dressing room. And uh, he said, no problem. I'll make arrangements. He says, meet me at the VIP suite at Pan Am, and uh, I'll bring him to you. And he did. So I did another interview with him, and that's the part I, I kept. It became obvious during the main event that Muhammad Ali was not the same, and the unanimous decision in favor of Canadian champ Trevor Burbeck was not a surprise. Only a few of the horde of reporters managed to get into Ali's dressing room immediately after the fight. Ours was the only camera. It was in those early minutes after the fight that one could see the emotional strain and agony that Muhammad endured. It was then that he fully realized a fourth championship was not possible. 
His skills were gone. His body would not react the way he wanted. He was 39, finished, and for the first time, he admitted it. His family cried. His wife felt the strategy was wrong. He had a lecture on being told not to dance, that that was the best way to fight this man by not dancing, and that's what he tried, so it was the wrong strategy. Last night as Muhammad Ali left the Bahamas, I talked to him again. Muhammad, you'd, you've had a couple days to reflect on the fight. Are you still going to retire? Have you changed your mind? No, I haven't changed my mind. I have to face him. I think I've come to the end of the road. With Larry Holmes, uh, I had an excuse. I was dehydrated, lost weight too fast. But this time I have no excuses. I've done my best, but I couldn't do no better than what you saw, which wasn't what it should be. So I think that's enough warning that it's time to get out. I know there's more than 10 years difference between you and Burbeck, but was he... Was his age a factor, or was he too fast and too aggressive for you? He wasn't too fast or too aggressive. He just had so much stamina, and he was so strong. I could feel the weakness of myself compared to him in clinches. His punches had more power, mine were weaker, and I could just feel the age. It's going to be very difficult to find or to look at the fight world without Muhammad Ali. What are you going to do? I'm going into spiritual work, yeah, evangelistic work, spreading the word of Islam, teaching people more about the Islamic religion, which is misunderstood by so many people, and more about what Muslim means, and more about Allah, God. Ali, you've got a great many fans in Canada, and on behalf of them, I'd like to wish you all the best in the near future and in your future endeavors. You've been a credit to the fight game and a real gentleman, and we hope to see you around for a long time. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think the fact that uh, I started so early at two years of age and, and I played every day and, and uh, until the time I was 16 or 17 years of age, and I, I think I just got such a head start on everybody else that, uh, you know, it's helped me through my career. I talked to your father about that, and I asked him about the Gretzky boys. I mean, they're all great hockey players. Even nine-year-old Brent looks like you did uh, 11 years ago. And, and we're trying to figure out what sets you aside from the rest of them. Is there intensity? Is there something your father instills in you boys? Well, I think the biggest thing that he puts in us is the fact that if you want to become a good hockey player and you want to become something that you have to work at it and it won't just come to you. And, um, my three brothers all have that desire to do so. Uh, secondly, uh, the biggest thing in this game is to have fun. Uh, my brothers have just as much fun as I do. I, I enjoy it. I love it. And I'm very fortunate that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid to do something I love to do. I think the third thing is, is the fact that he's taught us that with, if you score three goals in a hockey game, not to be satisfied with that and to try to get five the next game. And that's his idea of life, and uh, he's got that in us. And uh, I remember my first game made Jerry. I had three goals and three assists, and we went six to one. And uh, he told me I played lousy. <laughs> I think the one thing that really stands out about Wayne more than anything else is that he works hard. I mean, he's, he's got a great competitive attitude. He works hard. He won't give up. And, I mean, together with all of the ability that he has and the, the eye-hand coordination and the incredible anticipation and the skills, the lateral movements and, and all the physical terms that people have put on the way he plays in this game, but I think that he just works hard and he won't quit. He'll never give up. Uh, you see him come back and check guys. I really think that that's what makes him such a great occupier. You have to remember that if, uh, if you're big, you can push people around on the ice. And if you're physically smaller, then you must outthink them. So I always used to try to get Wayne, like I do with the other boys, to always try and outthink the other kids. And uh, I think that was one of the biggest things. And, of course, that's one of Wayne's great assets. He thinks so well in the ice. When I'm on the ice, uh, I, I try to pick on hockey players. And 
Uh, when we play against the Islanders, uh, it's obvious that Dennis Potvin is probably you know the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. So I'm going to try to stay away from him as much as I can and work on his partner. Uh, a lot of times players will go head-to-head with the, the best hockey players. And sometimes they beat him, sometimes they don't. But, uh, you know, it's percentages. And uh, I try to, when I'm on the ice, know who I'm going against, know if he's weak turning one way, if he's strong turning one way, if he throws the puck away, or uh, just, you know, what he does in situations. And I think that I use that to my uh, to my advantage. He sees the game differently than everyone else. Uh, maybe a simpler way to put it, if, if you watch all the great tennis players, they all hit the ball in the sweet spot. They all seem to make great shots. But Wayne always shoots the puck like that. He, he always has the ability to, to get the puck and get into the hole and release it before somebody's ready. And the, the great, and I'm not talking about the normal athlete, but the great, great athletes always seem to be able to do that. And whichever sport they are, they are in, uh, they're able to be able to do those things. And Wayne is one of those guys that is able to do it. One final question, Wayne. Are you going to get the 100 this year? <laughs> well, I, I think that if I ever have a chance of getting 100 goals, I think that this year is the year. I, you know, I, I've got uh, 54 now up until uh, this point in the season. Uh, to get 100 goals is going to be very difficult. And again, I say it's going to be a matter of whether my hockey team keeps us playing as well as they have been. And if, if they do that, uh, you know, I'm going to have a good chance of doing it. But uh, I'm just satisfied to be playing on this hockey team and hopefully we keep winning. That is amazing stuff, though, now. Look, looking back on it, wow. Well, I mean, uh, you were the guy that, uh, you know, brought my, my dad and my mom to Peterborough, and I think it was in 1987. No, you, you must have went there 19, as a program. 1988. Oh, was it I started in Peterborough in 1988, because in 87, I decided I was going out on my own. I was going to set up a, a production outfit anyway, go out and shoot stories, and because I really got intrigued by doing those was five-minute documentaries. Yeah. So I bought some equipment and I started doing that. But I, I didn't have any money to hire anybody. I know John, John uh, phoned me one day and says, "Yeah, I hear you're, you're, uh, you got a, a video outfit going." And I said, "Well, um, yes and no." I said, I, "I'm on my own. I, I, I can't afford to hire a crew." Said, "I'd love to have your voice, but." I, I just can't do that. He, he wasn't very happy in Ottawa at the time. So uh, I, 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 I kept on working for a while. And in the meantime, Jack Ruddle, uh, who just passed away recently, yeah. was our boss. Uh, he also left TTV at that time. And he hired on with Power Broadcasting. He was to take care of Peterborough, Kingston, and another... TV station in uh, Quebec and a number of radio stations, including a couple in uh, Oshawa. Anyway, Jack phoned me when I was out of a job, of course, uh, and uh, he said, uh, would you like to come and work in Peterborough? I said, well, not really. I've got a job going, uh, doing some production work. And he said, well, he said, of course, this isn't Toronto, but it's Peterborough. And he said, this is what I want. I want to build a mini CFTO newsroom. And he said, you have all the experience I need and I'd like you to come and, and build it for me. You can hire the people, I'll make sure I, you hire, I'll make sure you have a budget for the best equipment, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I thought, oh, that's, that's a hell of a challenge. I still wasn't convinced, but my wife talked me into it basically. <laughs> I was working seven days a week yeah. You know, eight hours a day type of thing, trying to make a go of this thing. So anyway, I took him up on it and uh, started out. And uh, so we'd have a few meetings on, you know, what we should do with this guy and that guy, and how do you like the morning man? And I said, well, he's a very good newsman, but I said, you need a guy like John Batten with the pipes. And he said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And I said, well, why don't you give me a shot? I'll, I'll get him down here. You can make... You can make the arrangement, but I think I can convince him to come down here. He says, oh, you never, no way. I said, well, I know his wife, and his wife has a daughter down here. <laughs> I said, 
he might want to come down here if he doesn't, his wife will want to. He said, okay, we'll give it a shot. So John came down and talked to Jack, and uh, he came to me after, and he says, well, the money's not that great. I said, well, it's not that great for me either, John, but let's, <laughs> let's work out together and see what we can do. And uh, so John, John stayed. That was great. We became closer friends than ever. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you guys had a good run there. You had a uh, good run in people. Oh, yeah, and John was so, so good in the morning with uh, Mike Melnick. Man, they, they built up an audience there. They had they had all of Peterborough listening to them. Because John was, he was, <laughs> he was a good news reader, but he was also a good editorialist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> he, he, would, he would stretch it out, and uh, <laughs> he had his own opinions. God, he was entertaining. Yeah. And good. Uh, it was really good. Yeah, no, we got you got had a good run in Peterborough. I mean, it was uh, you know he met met so many good people and and uh, you know Peterborough became a really nice place for them to uh, you know spoke pretty highly after a while. Of Peterborough became home, so you know thank you yeah. for extending the invitation uh, to get them there. Yeah, well, I just take part of the the credit for that. It was John. It was uh, Jack who who made the financial deal with him. So. Yeah. That was great. If, uh, if she hadn't accepted that, that would have been it. But I'm glad. Jack was really a good guy, you know. He, I, I just feel so bad that uh, he passed away so suddenly. Yeah. He was just a super guy. Just a great guy. Yeah. And John and I were really lucky to be, be able to work with him. Absolutely. Um, so what, what is this, what's the extent of your family then? You, you, have, you have kids. How many kids do you have, Wally? Yes, I have three boys. Three boys, because I don't think I've met any of your boys, have I? Brad is a Brad is sixty four years old. Okay. He's from my first marriage, and uh, uh, Jeff and Steve uh, both went into broadcasting. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. I didn't advise him to, but they <laughs> did. Um, Jeff uh, was. Where are they? In, uh, where's Jeff then? Jeff has been with TSN for about thirty years. Okay. He's a, a producer, one of their top top boys. And uh, every November, of course, I guess he, there's a little trepidation going on when yeah. when the act comes down from Bell. But uh, Steve also started at TSN, and uh, he got the happy handshake there uh, a few years ago. But uh, he ended up uh, with CBC, and he's in charge uh, of uh, part of the Olympics. The, uh, He's probably the, in charge of the streaming of the different programs. Streaming, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. He's in charge of that. Oh, good for him. Yeah, so he, he came up, uh, I guess, laughing or bouncing, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But he's good and he's happy. and The boys are all happy. Brad was... Uh, was working for a coffee company and uh, they shut down during the pandemic and he hasn't heard from them since so uh, and he's 64 years old so 63 I guess he said he might be just uh, ready to retire he might he might just end up being okay with that right so yeah yeah, yeah. well we've got uh, we've got the uh, golf tournament coming up and I mean uh, we're sorry about the, the news of the passing of Dick Bradbeer. We're going to do a little tribute to him, I think, for that. And Dick was, as you know, was trying to help out as much as he could with that. I you know, thank you for all your help and work that you've done in, the, in helping us with the, um, the bursary uh, for raising money for the media bursary for John Batham and at uh, Trent University. So that's now dis- done distributions for two years consecutive now. So that's that's good. It's up and running, and uh, you know, it took a couple of ter- golf tournaments and some some good uh, charity work that uh, got it up and going. So, and that's and a lot of thanks to you. And it'll keep on going, Paul. What's that? It'll keep on going. Yes, yes. Those bursaries work very well. They they invest their money very well, and and uh, it'll go up every year, uh, mostly every year. Yeah. And uh, that'll mean uh, more money is uh, donated to. Uh, one of the students, my bursary that I have is that uh, give it to the person who needs it the most. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think John wanted to do it in journalism, didn't he? Wanted a journalist uh, 
category? Yeah, you know, I know they changed it because the, um, the curriculum changed over there a little bit, so I think we changed it to something, media, something or other, but anyways, it's going to oh. be in the same, let's see, or oh, maybe, right. it, maybe it's the other way around, it changed to journalism, I'm not sure which, but it, it was, it sort of changed because of the curriculum uh, right. adjustment, but nonetheless, it's still going to be in that, uh, that realm of uh, the industry, so, uh, you know, and thanks for the... Uh, the work and the introduction to that from you. So thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Yeah, sure. So. August, yeah. August 16th, if you can make it, Wally. We've got the golf tournament out in the West End now because we've, we seem to have more West End uh, golfers, so we decided to move it back this way. But uh, uh, 16th of July? 16th of August. Of August? Yeah. Okay, I'll write that down. Yeah. 16th of August. Okay, that sounds great. And uh, speaking of uh, Dick uh, Bradbeer, that would be very nice if uh, you had a tribute to him because he was such a good guy for the media. Yeah. He was fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, he's... uh, I've asked David to give me, you know, some background and bio so that I can put it on the website and he's going to do that in the next week or so, so... That's his son David, so uh, he'll do. He'll uh, help me out with that. But uh, yeah, I know we really uh, appreciate all the, the the memories and the work that Dick Bradbury did over the years, and certainly sad to see him go. And you know, he did the bag tags for us every year. And a nice little story about Dick. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Dick uh, knew that I loved playing golf, and so every once in a while for these tournaments, uh, he'd invite me out. And uh, the Blue Jays always had a tournament. And Dick was a, a part of organizing that. And so he invited me out to the golf tournament. He said, we're going to golf. Uh, our guy is going to be Lloyd Mosby. He said, well, I have another guy to get. Uh, have you got anybody in mind? And I said, well, I wouldn't mind taking my son Brad out there. He's a pretty good golfer. And he said, you're on. So we went out and uh, we took Lloyd Mosby with us, who hadn't played golf. Remember Shaker? Yeah. How did he do? <laughs> anyway, he didn't even want to swing a club, but we talked him into it and uh, told him how to hold it and the, the whole works. Anyway, he took a few whips and then then he hit one and he nailed it. And he caught. He was he was hooked just like that. I was going to say, he, doesn't he have his own tournament now? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. He, so- and every time I saw Lloyd after that, because I used to do a lot of baseball yeah. interviews for Canada AM, yeah. and every time I saw him, he says, how's Brad doing? I yeah. said, oh, that's great. Yeah, but, yeah. but that was, you know, that happened because of Dick. You know, Dick got so many people involved, that yeah, was just crazy. Yeah. No, that's Such that, a guy. That's a, that's a great story. I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> But, well, anyway. uh, Wally, I like to end my podcast. I like to wrap up, and I, uh, I, I usually I try and wrap up with a couple of questions just to get to know you and put you on the spot a little bit here. But I ask you a few questions. So are you okay if I ask you a few questions about, uh, you know, one of the things that it's called if I had to choose. And, and you know, one of the things we always get in these conversations say, well, okay, if you had to pick a, where you lived, and you had, would you prefer to live near water, near the mountains, or the countryside? If you had to pick, where would you pick? Near the water. Near the water, a very popular answer. How about, yeah. how about if you were, had to pick the city, the suburbs, or the country? I'm a country boy, but my wife is not. I guess I'd have to be the suburbs. Suburbs. So I know obviously we'll talk about sports. I mean, if you had to pick a sport, which one would you pick? Hockey, football, basketball, baseball, or golf? Golf. Golf. Yeah, I, was, I, th- I thought you'd probably pick that. Uh, okay, being in Toronto, we'll have to say, okay, Argos, Blue Jays, Leafs, Raptors, or TFC? Blue Jays. Blue Jays, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm a Maple Leaf fan as well, but uh, the Blue Jays have my interest. Are, are you traveling much these days? No. No? Uh, no, we used to go to Florida for three months in the wintertime, but uh, that stopped uh, just before the pandemic. And so we've been wintering now uh, three years here in, uh, in Peterborough. And, you know, Peterborough is such a lovely place to live. Yeah. Uh, when, when, uh, when I retired,
retired, uh, you know, we thought maybe we'd go to Whitby where our, our kids were. And I said, nah, let's just stay in Peterborough. And that's where we are, and we love it here. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we've moved, we've moved from our big house into a little condominium, but it's perfect for us. Okay, well then, for food, what are you, <laughs> you a meat guy, pasta guy, or fish guy? Uh, actually, I'm a meat guy. I like steak. <laughs> so, fine dining, family restaurant, a pub, or fast food? Which would you pick? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't been drinking, so I guess a pub is out. But, uh, um, fine food, fine, fine dining, I guess, would be my pick. So for music, would you, if you musical instrument, guitar, piano, drums, or saxophone? How about a clarinet? A oh, clarinet, okay. That's what I used to play. Oh, there you go. I didn't know it that. It was in the North Battleford City Band. Oh, good for you. That's fantastic. So you picked up on a musical instrument. Good for you. It's something I always uh, envy. Well, it, such a it didn't thing. last very long because one night uh, when I was at band practice, uh, bandmaster said, where were you last week? I said, oh, I had hockey practice. He says, you mean hockey is more important than, ba than the band? I said, yes, sir. He said, get out of here. <laughs> Well, going out of the podcast, I, I, here's where I put you on the spot. You got. I always end on a, a musical song, and I always let the, my guests pick. Uh, you pick the, the song that we go out on. It could be your favorite or one that comes to mind. So I'll put you on the spot. What comes to mind? Well, I like Satchmo, and you know what Satchmo sings. The world. What's the name of it? Louis Armstrong. Oh, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, his song. It's my favorite song. It's a wonderful world. Oh, wonderful world, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. Actually, oh, well, you know, it's it is. Oh, it was just a pleasure talking with you. Just a pleasure. All right, you guys take care. Talk to you Yep, for sure. Okay, take care. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. i